0: Dude, we are going to energise the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr Nice Guy. Another future's possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Jack Brown, a London Partnerships Director and Lecturer in London Studies at King's College London. Uh, the first ever researcher in residence for Number 10 Downing Street from 2016 to 2017, and author of uh, a couple of books, Number 10, The Geography of Power at Downing Street, London's Mayor at 20, Governing a Global City in the 21st Century, and the book we're going to be discussing today, The London Problem. Welcome to the podcast, Jack.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for that uh, wonderful kind of CV style uh, introduction. (laughs) Brilliant. I feel really good about myself now. I'm
0: ready. (laughs) Fantastic. That's what uh, we—that's what we aim to do. Um, So, the first question that I'd like to ask is: What prompted you uh, to write this particular book? Sure. So, um,
1: so one of the titles—the many titles that you read out uh, there—lecturer in London Studies is my current job at King's College London. Um, Recently, became uh, full time at King's but before that I was working half-time at King's and half-time at a think tank called Centre for London um like to get the word London in as much as possible um really good way of batting back accusations of of London centrism um but Centre for London uh when I went there um it was initially it was to uh produce reports on London's relationship with the rest of the country this was a couple of years ago now and it was felt that um Relations had soured somewhat. There was quite a lot of resentment, particularly at that point, I guess, around the idea of transport uh, infrastructure spending being kind of skewed towards London, but also um, post-Brexit, some of these kind of you know anti-London sentiment uh, for other reasons, perhaps cultural reasons as well as economic. And so it, I was kind of uh, brought in to run that project. It wasn't my idea, um, but I thought it was a very good project. And things have really moved on since then, Um, obviously with the levelling up agenda in particular, um, that general election 2019 kind of restating the electoral map of of the EU referendum. It's kind of taken on new angles. And so I thought, actually, it's time to revisit this um, and perhaps expand on some of the the, um, cultural stuff. I think the original report uh, for Centre for London was quite, you know, London needs to be a little bit more humble. You know, London's coming across as quite arrogant. And I think actually things have changed now. And I I actually I've hardened a little bit. (laughs) So I think I think London's actually getting a bit of an unfair rap now. And so it was kind of updating that and putting that out there. It's a very long-winded way of saying (laughs) I I was updating a report I did in
0: 2019. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that you mentioned there, and one of the things that you touch upon. Uh, in the book, is the perception of a a cultural difference between London and the rest of the UK, that London is somehow uh, more uh, liberal, perhaps more uh, aligned with the European Union than perhaps the rest of the UK. Why do you think that this um, perception has been uh, put on London? Do you think that it's purely a result of the 2016 referendum, or do you think that it's something that is much uh, longer and is, is... much of a, a more of a, a hardened image for London?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think this is a, it's a really good question. And I think that um, the 2016 uh, referendum was, to some extent, you know, um, <laughs> it's amazing to hear how many people will tell you what it meant, <laughs> what it all meant. It's obviously a very complex and, and, and convoluted thing, you know, with ultimately a binary question and a million different reasons to vote either way. But it didn't it didn't create all of our divisions didn't create anti-Londonism, it it, uh, uh, demonstrated it to some extent. But it also, um, you know, because the rise of UKIP and things like that in 2014, they're beforehand. So to some extent, I think this particular current version of London as a place apart kind of comes maybe after the crash. Uh, I think, you know, when London really recovers quite well, the rest of the country doesn't necessarily. Austerity becomes a thing um but then even before that we've kind of got london's easier transition into to a service economy and the decline of manufacturing elsewhere there's kind of all these different these different patterns um come, coming together i do think that the, the referendum um leads to a different language mm. right so it reflects some difference between London and its economy and reality of life in London for a lot of Londoners not all there are many who experienced London in a very different way but it did you know show that London was this little yellow island yellow for remain in a kind of blue sea in England Um, although other cities were of course as well but it did kind of reflect that but um, afterwards the amount that politicians and commentators use phrases like metropolitan elite, Mm. liberal metropolitan elite. That's a more willful and deliberate thing that I think really did get accelerated by that 2016 referendum. It's shown to be a winning formula. Mm. So you know, there's these much deeper rooted things going on, structural things, but in terms of how we talk about it and how politicians and leaders talk about it really comes from 2016, I think.
0: Yeah, and there's that um, uh, great comparison in the um, preference when you give a quote from uh, Samuel Johnson that uh, a man who is tired of London is tired of life, and then you compare that with a, a quote from Dominic Cummings saying that journalists should perhaps get out of London and, and, and see the uh, <laughs> more of the country. Do you think, in, in terms of using it as a um, a, a political uh, sticker, a, a political? Um, Opportunity in, in in terms of um, making that distinction between um, London and the and the rest of uh, the UK that it was key to the um, the 2019 success of the Conservatives making that distinction between uh, perhaps London because of course. People have seen all of the um, what was happening in parliament at the time over the uh Brexit vote and perhaps associated that with the rest of London. And that the reason the conservatives were successful at that election was making that distinction between uh London and the quote unquote metropolitan elite and the rest of the country.
1: Yeah, look, I, th- I think it's it's um it's it's a kind of code word, London yeah. is kind of code word for a million different things. I mean, you mentioned there, you know, uh parliament and things that were going on in Westminster yeah. rather than in London and in fact not in all of Westminster because lots of Westminster is very poor um, as you know Westminster uh, as a borough um, is, is a really quite a diverse a diverse place but you know th- these are all kind of shorthand things right so if you're <laughs> pissed off with the government if you really don't like what the government is doing uh, the, that government is based in Westminster and sometimes you know we did polling at Centre for London. What's the first thing that people think of? Many, many different roles for uh, for London in our mm-hmm. national life. You know, what's the first thing that you think of, of those many different roles? Is it a place for tourists? Is it a place where just people live? Is it a financial centre? The one number one thing that came up was it's the home of central government. Mm-hmm. So quite often when people hear London, this is people outside of the yeah. capital, first thing that comes to mind is Westminster. So it's a a code, code word for that as well as many other things that you don't like this liberal metropolitan um, woke mm. is the more contemporary word that's been you know associated to it's all based on stereotypes there's one thing i would go back to saying because I only realized this the other day 40% of Londoners voted to leave actually in a referendum but London did overall uh, vote to remain but there's more leave voters in London than there are uh, or there were in 2016, rather, in the northeast, for example, just because there's more people in yeah. London. <laughs> and the same is true of the East Midlands. You know, there are a huge number of leave voters in London, a huge number of poor people. Poverty rates are actually higher in London than the rest of the country, particularly after housing costs. So it's, it's based on stereotypes. It's all based on associations and stereotypes. And sometimes this is weaponized by people who want to... Uh, to uh, create another, create an enemy and say, you know, it, particularly by elites. It, the thing that's quite remarkable, I think, in recent times, is the amount of elites who are criticising uh, other elites of being elites, uh, which is, you know, is, it does... Yeah, it makes me laugh, to honest. It's, it's quite transparent. Um, that's not to say there aren't legitimate regional inequalities, but there is this other aspect. Right?
0: Mm. One of the things that um, you mentioned there and you, and you talk about um, as well in the book is the um, disparity between different parts of London. You mentioned there that there are higher rates of uh, uh, inequality and poverty in London than um, the rest of the UK. Do you think that for people to fully recognise um, the diversity of um, London and that there are these uh great disparities, that more has to be said about some of the inequalities in London than perhaps is at the moment, because like you say, people will just think of it as, oh, well, this is where the government is based, therefore it's, you know, a, a place for perhaps more privileged people than it is for for, for people uh, across the economic spectrum.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to have... Um... Two conversations simultaneously because two things are true which is you know a horrible phrase because it always means that uh it's, it's you, you sound you sound kind of like you're sitting on the fence um and it's complicated to communicate but yes london is home to politics political power but also financial power a lot of billionaires majority of the country's billionaires there is great wealth in london it does um the wealthy part of london subsidizes spending in the rest of the country it generates so much in tax and so london is vital for the national economy that's one thing and then the other truth is that poverty rates are also in parts of the city which is a big complicated place with nine million people Um, poverty rates are higher than the rest of the country and it's 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 very difficult Say you are the mayor of London. Let's make you mayor of London. Um, about time, will I bet? Um, not that you necessarily want to be mayor of London, but you know, a, a job of that stature. Yeah. Um, in this case, it's mayor of London. How are you going to communicate simultaneously to the country and to the world that this is? The goose that lays the golden egg for the rest of the country in terms of its economy, that it's vital, it's so vibrant and powerful and wonderful. Um, and also it's a place of incredible poverty and it really needs more assistance, mm-hmm. you know, because those two things don't sit easily, but those things yeah. two things are true. Because London is just so big, it's mm-hmm. so much bigger than the next biggest city. Um, just through accidents of history, just through the fact that over time, that's the way it's evolved. Um governments have been trying to address this for, for decades and decades and decades, and it's it's never quite managed. But yes, we need to talk about poverty in London because it is serious, it is in some cases endemic. And those people, you know, poorer Londoners are also real people, you know, mm-hmm. they are left behind if you're going to use that phrase, which isn't a great phrase, but you know, if, if anybody is uh, in this country, if anybody needs levelling up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's plenty of people in London and communities in London that need that Two, not more or less than other parts of the country, but just as much,
0: because we are the same, (laughs) ultimately. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the things that, um, you touched upon uh, this as well a a bit in the book, in in, in terms of um, the disparity, one of the things that I think really brought it home to to people was the um, Grenfell Tower Fire, mm. which of course happened in Kensington, you know, which is a, a generally considered a, a, a fairly um, wealthy uh, part of uh, London, but also has, you know, and, and had at the, at the time of Grenfell uh, a great deal of um, social housing and inequality. Do you think then that, in terms of social housing and, and looking after um, people in London as well as in the west of the UK, that more has to be done? To focus on the fact that there is, um, you know, a, a housing crisis. That if, if things don't get done in, in terms of, of uh, building houses, you know, this is only a situation that's going to get worse and worse. The housing crisis is talked about uh, a lot, but often we don't have perhaps as stark examples as uh, in the case of Grenfell.
1: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> So Kensington, Kensington and Chelsea is yeah a particularly affluent borough um, overall, but with extreme poverty. As you as you mentioned, it's kind of London in microcosm to some extent. There, right, same same sort of pattern: serious wealth and serious poverty, and whilst I'm not a proponent or enthusiast for <laughs> inequality, <laughs> um, the alternative is worse, right? Mm. You, um, I don't know if it's really true, but the stereotype of Paris is a very affluent mm. centre and very poor suburbs, you know, quite segregated in that respect. Um, might be being totally unfair on Paris, but let's just say that that's <laughs> the case. Yeah. Better not to replicate that model, whether it exists in <laughs> Paris <laughs> or not. Um, because, you know... Th- th- whilst inequality can be a great thing, um, actually mixed communities are better than mm. segregated communities, mm. um, but more does need to be done to help you know, re- reduce that gap and to, uh, particularly to provide a better safety net. The housing cost crisis, mm. which is probably separate to what happened at Grenfell, which is a, mm-hmm. a real horrific tragedy around the cladding specifically and fire mm-hmm. safety, but the kind of general not producing enough housing Demand being so high, costs going right up, mm. and that driving poverty um, is a real kind of London wide thing. And it goes out into the southeast. And up, there are plenty of other parts of the country where this is the case, but it's, it's mainly a kind of a southeastern crisis, really. And that does fuel, yeah, successive mayors of London, uh, different leaders of London boroughs, different governments have all struggled to address this because it's just very hard to deliver enough housing to meet need. One really good way of addressing this would be levelling up Mm. successfully, would be, you know, having uh, a series of cities across the country that people really, really, that have similar draw to London. Mm. um, That would take some of the pressure off of London and that would hopefully, therefore, you know, as demand goes down, the prices come down, that could solve it. My fear with levelling up is that, you know, um, it's it's easier to level London down, right? To take yeah. money away from the capital and put it elsewhere. But if you could genuinely achieve that, mm. um, which like I say, successive governments have been trying to do, yeah. it's very difficult. That's not to say it's impossible. That would be really good for poor people in London as well. Mm. Uh, uh, yes, I, I totally agree that, that housing is a really difficult, but really important mm. area to address.
0: We're going to take a short break from my conversation with Jack to hear a trailer for the Politics of Sound podcast episode with Marc Francois, which you can listen to wherever you listen to your podcasts. When we come back, we'll be discussing uh, further the ways that London is perceived um, regional devolution, whether that would engage people more uh, with local politics and get them more invested in politics and much, much more. We'll be back in a moment. Do you want to see your politicians from a different angle? It's time for the Politics of Sound podcast. I believe that people's record collections can reveal a lot about them and so every month I invite politicians and political figures to reveal their three all-time favourite albums and in exchange I want to know all about them and their lives what they think and why they think it. My guest this month is the controversial politician and chairman of the ERG group, Marc Francois. So why not join me, Ian Carnegie, my guests and the House Band on the Politics of Sound podcast, out now on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm. Now, um, you mentioned uh, that moving uh, parts of uh, try, try, trying to level up potentially. Um, mm. Uh, stimulating other parts of the country now one of the uh, proposed ways of doing that is the uh, government have suggested moving uh, parts of the treasury to the north and other uh, parts of um the government other um, government departments to uh, different parts of the uk do you think that that would uh, necessarily um help uh you know areas of the of, of the uk uh in the north or the east or wherever or do you think that it would be more a case as, as you said they're potentially hindering london by taking people who would be otherwise contributing to the uh, economy of london and taking them out of the system and shoving them somewhere else i i, I guess i should i should
1: clarify there because personally i'm quite kind of Agnostic on Mm -hmm. the idea of moving civil servants or government departments or even parliament, you know, it is falling Mm -hmm. apart, uh, moving it to another part of of the country. Um, I don't think it can do it, it's going to do massive harm. Um, There are more civil servants outside of London than there are in London now, but most of the senior civil servants are still in London, but that's Mm -hmm. because there is a, a sort of agglomeration benefit of having. Your main civil servants around your main politicians around lots of the supporting you know uh, industries if you move the whole caboodle mm-hmm. to another city you you just create a similar problem there which is for me too mm-hmm. much centralized power not enough devolved power for different regions to um to, to to initiate policies to spend money and raise taxes in a way that suits them to build local growth for me I think devolution rather than putting a part of the very centralized civil service somewhere I think it'd be much better to give them a much stronger local mayor I'm kind of with Michael Heseltine on this where he says you know show me a problem show show me who's in charge you know if you put someone (laughs) in charge who's close to the ground you can really sort of advocate for uh, and respond to uh, local issues I think that's the best way of leveling up personally when I talk about Risk of levelling London down. I'm not really talking about moving, you know, oh, London needs to keep all of its mm-hmm. civil servants or more of the BBC or mm-hmm. whatever. What I'm talking about is uh, government deciding let's not invest in Crossrail 2. Mm-hmm. Let's instead put that money elsewhere. Let's not, um, th- this was talked about in, in, in universities, mm-hmm. let's potentially take away the London waiting mm-hmm. from London universities and just give it to Other parts of the country, so it's taking resources Mm -hmm. is more what I'm talking about rather than people. Um, And I think you you need to not treat it in a kind of zero sum Mm -hmm. way. Like we need a really thriving world city in London, and we need um, to invest elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean that sounds a bit like you know magic (laughs) money tree, but I do think this is investment. Mm -hmm. It's not just throwing money uh, away. And that's more what I'm talking about. But my, my concern is more more about kind of resources than people. I think. There's a perfectly legitimate argument for putting Parliament somewhere else. Mm. Um, I just don't think it's going to transform. I don't think if the Treasury turns up in your town, Mm -hmm. your town is suddenly going to become a really exciting, Mm. (laughs) enterprising (laughs) place to be. Um, Just really quickly, I did my PhD on um, Canary Wolf and Docklands Mm. in London's East End, which was a really run-down place Mm. before they built Canary Wolf. Uh, And Canary Wolf, the development as we know it today, was really struggling. Mm. um in the early 90s uh, it went bankrupt actually mm. and they considered moving the department the environment down there mm. and the guy who was in charge of running canary wolf at the time um while it was in administration said nah we don't want those sort of people here <laughs> like you know it would be really good because we've got all these empty buildings we're really struggling but if we fill them with civil servants we're not going to fill them with uh enterprising mm. startups you know and, and yeah. exciting and the whole atmosphere is not going to be built, mm. and so it's a kind of a short term fix. We actually you want to build somewhere that young people want to be. You mm. want to build something. I'm not having to go at civil servants, here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's 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 um it's it's a slightly different a slightly different thing that I think um, leads to a more equal country. I think it's mm. working out how to get that private sector. Eighty percent or so of jobs are in the private sector. How do you get that going in a locality? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily by moving a part of um, of, of, of public administration there mm-hmm. in my view yeah. what do you what do you think will or do you do you not share do you not share your views on these things
0: <laughs> well i mean i i think it could uh, like you say, i think it, it, it could help but equally it might not actually um help in terms of uh in, investment like you say i think it would be better if you're encouraging people who are actually creating businesses and creating jobs to um you know uh, give them support in those areas rather than just saying, well, we're just going to take a, a certain element of the government and shove it there.
1: The word shove is quite, yeah, yeah, it's quite a loaded word, isn't it, but <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yes, no, exactly. No, I, I, I personally personally would agree but i can't say i've got all the answers here this is Mm -hmm. unfortunately the book is a little bit more about the problem than
0: yeah (laughs) the (laughs) solution
1: the solution i do think i do believe that you know if anything is the solution it's it's more devolution investment in infrastructure Mm -hmm. investment in skills yeah these these sort
0: of things Mm -hmm. in 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 terms of um devolution you mentioned it and you mentioned it a little bit um before Uh, do you think that for example the London Assembly, uh, which of course you know uh, uh, has a, a, a certain amount of uh, influence on the capital. Do you think that uh, perhaps there should be more focus on what happens uh, in the assembly? Because perhaps people, whether they be in London or uh, outside London, perhaps don't follow the the inner workings of the London Assembly perhaps as uh, as closely as they should. Do.
1: Are you talking about the, the greater London Authority? Yeah, the the, the yeah. Mayor and the Assembly. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. so the, the, the there's the Mayor mm-hmm. and the Mayor's Office, and then the London Assembly is the body that kind of scrutinizes yeah. um the, the mayor's office, uh, which doesn't have a huge amount of power actually, mm-hmm. but the, 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 the mayoralty does have quite a lot of power, mainly in kind of convening, in saying mm-hmm. I am the mayor, and millions of people voted for me. It's one yeah. of the biggest personal direct mandates in Western mm-hmm. Europe. Um more than the prime minister, more people direct, vote directly for the mayor than the prime minister. So yes, I would agree that uh, what they get up to probably does need uh, a little bit more uh, attention. I think that recent the recent elections showed um, the the power of mayors potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Andy Burnham has really you know um, come into his own in advocating for. Um, actually the north not just mm. not just greater manchester um re, uh, over the local lockdowns and um throughout the pandemic mm. um but um ben Houshan up in the the northeast as well um Andy street not just labor mayors mm. um but um a series of metro mayors have kind of quite identifiable achievements mm. that they can point to um up in the northeast, they've sort of basically nationalised an mm-hmm. airport. You know, it's quite a big, a big, big thing, yeah. and it's it seems it seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think these mayors are relatively underpowered. Mm-hmm. I think that you could devolve a little bit more responsibility, um, a little bit more tax-raising powers. Not just because I want them to have, you know, increased taxes mm-hmm. or have more money, but because that's just the reality of how you get things done. You need a bit more yeah. power, a bit more money. Um, and then I think the public understanding of what they get up to would probably follow because mm. actually your yeah. your list your list if you're if you're the current mayor of London yeah. your list of direct powers you've got quite a lot of power over transport although at the moment mm-hmm. that's all been taken away because transport is bankrupt because of
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> coronavirus mm-hmm. um, you have some influence over the met police but you're you know they're also accountable to the home office mm-hmm. you kind of share that and you have other powers that deliver a bit of housing but most housing isn't delivered by you mm-hmm. you have quite a limited set of powers and so i think some to some extent the uh amount of coverage and understanding that the yeah. public has of this role is linked mm-hmm. to how much power they actually have to do stuff so mm-hmm. more power more scrutiny good
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> do you think then that if um mayors in different parts of the country had more power that this would uh perhaps make it uh easier for people to get engaged more in local and regional politics. If they felt that mayors had more power, they might think, oh, well, I'm going to be more likely to follow what they're doing and therefore contribute more to the, the political debate in my local area.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd look, I'd, I'd like to think so. I like the idea that, <laughs> that more substantial uh, figures, you know, we haven't got a history like France does of, mm-hmm. you know, of, uh, politicians be, being a mayor of a major city, then going on to lead the country. Mm. We do now. We have a precedent. <laughs> we, but, you know, not a president, but a precedent. Uh, we, yeah, in Boris Johnson, a former mayor. Um, and that gives more prominence to to the role, to the mayoralty. And um, over time, you attract more kind of substantial figures, people who are have big political talent or mm-hmm. political ambition. And that means more people will pay attention to it because it's, you know, actually people know who Andy Burnham is now. They know that there is a mayor there advocating for them. And that can only be good for local politics. I mean, I would say that there's a whole layer Mm -hmm. beneath these mayors, you know, Mm. beneath Burnham, beneath Sadiq Khan um, of boroughs and, you know, um, perhaps there isn't always that kind of trickle down that people go, okay, well, I'm going to go get involved with my local council. Um, Stronger local local leadership, I do think, would lead to to more engagement. I think people trust. I think if you look at sort of the Ipsos Mm. veracity indexes Mm. that they produce, they see who's the most and least trusted professions in the country each year. And it's always, you know, government, uh, central government is always right down the bottom, but local councillors tend to be quite a lot higher up you know, people do kind of trust because it's a more human level, yeah. right? You know, the closer yeah. it is to you, the more relatable it is, the more likely you are going to you're going to see them, you're going to get mm. some interaction from them, you're going to see the change that they implement. And so, I, yeah, I'm a big, big believer um, in the principle that sort of local, local is
0: broadly better. <laughs> Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great speaking to you, Jack, and I have one uh, final question. Uh, we've not really touched upon it um, much, but of course coronavirus has limited the amount of things that uh, we'll be able to um, do, though hopefully things are getting better uh, in terms of the rollout of the vaccination, et cetera. When things return to normal, what one thing that you haven't been able to do are you most looking forward to being able to do?
1: Me personally? Yeah, See, if you'd have asked me um, a little while, well, only a, a, a few weeks ago, I wanted to see my family so badly, um, so badly. My mum my and dad, they live in different places. They both moved out of London uh, in recent years, so I haven't really seen them. Uh, my dad's particularly vulnerable, so that was a huge thing to mm-hmm. go and see him, even outdoors. Um, I would have said going to football because I am a season ticket holder at, uh, at the Emirates Stadium, follow Arsenal, and... Uh, <laughs> was missing that hugely Mm. but I went to the last game of the season uh very socially distanced um, and it was weird and you know you could hear the air conditioning (laughs) (laughs) above you um I think going going back to see some live music Mm. I think is the thing that I'm still missing I'm quite happy at the moment with this Mm. uh it's awful for businesses but this stage of lockdown I don't know about you Mm. but like I I can see the people that I need to see I feel that human connections back yeah Yeah. um but live music oh my god like mm. I missed that dearly I wasn't even going to that many gigs before <laughs> I'm <was> kind of, <laughs> of getting really lazy and complacent but I realize how much I yeah. I missed that now what's your what's your number one or have, have you done this already
0: uh, well I, th- I think like you say just being able to, to to get out get to um see some uh live events there were quite a few that I was um meant to be going to in oh. in uh, <laughs> the start of 2020 mm. that just when and uh, probably might not happen again hopefully they do uh, so yeah just being able to, to to get out and to to see people like I used to be able to <laughs> yes without booking oh yeah. my god without
1: planning like three weeks in advance yeah, that would be incredible should we go for a pint oh it's yeah. possible wow you can just do that you know that that would be that would be a dream world but uh, at the moment to be honest at just some good news on on the virus because at the moment it does seem to be you know it's very up and down Mm. and any sort of progress I think I'd be very happy about
0: yeah absolutely um thank you once again for coming on the podcast Jack if people want to get the London problem where should they go to get it
1: um, well, I, they can go to a bookshop now, I guess, can't <laughs> yeah, they? You know, yeah. <laughs> they physically be allowed in. I don't know if it would have it. Um, <laughs> it depends on the bookshop. Um, but I would ask you to go to House, the publisher's website, H-A-U-S Publishing, um, and buy it directly from them rather than from one of the massive uh, online retailers. Although, you know, if you're going to buy it, then I appreciate that regardless.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.